0: So let's turn to the next prayer that we have before us, and that would be in Daniel chapter 9. Take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then after Ezekiel, we have Daniel chapter 9. Tonight, by the way, there's an outline on the back table. If you need one, you can do that. And before I read a little bit, just a quick... Little, little announcement on the back table. You probably saw it walking in, but there are a handful of tracks that have come in. Uh, some of our favorites. One of them is the thank you track. Take a bunch of those. I have a lot more downstairs, but take those back there. And then one that I think is Dorothy's favorite, the Tetelestai, right? And, uh, one, one of the things I love to say is, you ever heard of this word? Everybody says no. It's one of the best words in the whole world. Yeah. Read it. And so they will. It is finished from John nineteen thirty. but you can take those. And then there's the good test. Everybody says, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We're doing fine. And uh, the good test is a wonderful gospel tract that you can give to folks. And then there's one more. I forget what it is. Oh, the COVID who is to blame for COVID-19. So you can, you can have fun giving those out as well. The gospel clearly presented on the back of each of those. Okay, Daniel chapter 9. Let's get to the word and then we'll get to the prayer together. The prayer meeting. The Bible study and the prayer meeting. In your outline, if you look at the top, here's the title for the study tonight. A prayer of anguish to a covenant-keeping God in a time of divine judgment. Daniel 9, I'm going to work through a good portion of the chapter, but just follow with me. I just want to read the first five verses to begin. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Here's the word of the Lord. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. And I said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. Even we have turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. How do you pray? In times of intense anguish. Not not so much individually or personal moments of anguish, I'm not minimizing that, I'm not lessening that, but I'm thinking more of corporate, national, widespread, maybe even international trouble. Maybe you think of a national calamity, or a global crisis, or an international catastrophe. How do you pray? In a time of intense anguish. How do you pray? When you're going through great hardship. Yes, physically and emotionally and spiritually. How do you pray when anguish has taken over your heart? There was a time in Old Testament Israel when they were in exile. That is the occasion here, when the Jewish people had been taken to the land of Babylon. And maybe for the people today, for believers today, for people in the world today, it's not so much national exile, but it could be Romans 1 type judgment of the wrath of God. Divine abandonment that God would give a people over. In hardship. Who do we hold on to? In in times of ruin, national ruin, where do we run? When evil and ungodliness and wickedness soars, how do you pray? It's almost like the Romans 8 kind of prayer, when even when we don't know how to pray, The Spirit of God intercedes for us with silent groanings when even we can't even put words to these anguished times of prayer. Daniel 9 is such an occasion. A time of great anguish, a time of intense anguish. And we're going to look at this prayer tonight, and and it's a remarkable prayer, and there's so much here. Even this afternoon, I was again praying through it, and my sermon notes were printed, I've already marked them up, I've already reviewed it, and there's so much more that I saw. So there's a lot here that I we just can barely scratch the surface. But to clarify, let me begin by stating a couple of things by way of clarification. Tonight we're looking at Old Testament Israel. We today are not Israel. We are not the new Israel. We are not spiritual Israel. There's not a straight continuity between Israel, the covenant Israel of the Old Testament, and the church today. There's not a direct continuity, but there are many parallels. There are many lessons that we can learn as the New Testament church as we gaze upon our God who does not change. As we gaze upon how God dealt with Israel and how God dealt with her because of her sin and how Daniel prayed in response to that. We can learn. We can learn a lot of lessons. What is God doing? How is Daniel responding? What can we learn? Well, Daniel chapter 9, here we are sort of parachuting into the middle of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 is a chapter of prayer, but remember, Daniel is an older man at this point. It was about 605 B.C. that King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem in the first of three waves where he would ultimately destroy the temple and exile the people to Babylon. This is the first of those visits. When Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, he takes a number of Jewish people off to Babylon in that first wave, including Daniel and his three Friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were probably teenage boys at the time. Now, Daniel is in Babylon. And of course, you know the book of Daniel. He rises to power because of his integrity. God was with him. God's presence uh, came to Daniel's aid. And God gave him visions and interpretations of dreams and so on. But Daniel 9 is one of the most remarkable One of the most important chapters, can I say it, in the whole Bible. It's one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. I would open up commentary after commentary after commentary, and almost a handful of them all said the same thing. This chapter is one of the most important in the whole Bible. And and as I was thinking about the whole chapter, here's the overview of the chapter. In verses 1 and 2, Daniel is reading and studying the book of Jeremiah. And then in verses 3 to 19, he will respond to his Bible reading with prayer. And then in verses 20 to 27, God is going to respond to Daniel's prayer with... A prophecy. So Daniel is reading scripture and then he will be confessing sin and then God will respond to his prayer and God will give a vision for the God will give a, a prophecy for the future. But just by way of introduction, look at your outline with me. I give just a couple of kind of big picture overview points regarding this prayer. There are so many details here. There are so many Old Testament scriptures that come into play here, but let me just bring you into a few points. Number one, this is a God word prayer. This is a God word prayer. This is a prayer to God for the glory of God. At the end of the prayer in verse 19, Daniel says, for your own sake, O Lord, you need to act. God, not for me, but for your glory. It's God word number two in your outline. It's a repentant prayer. If if you get anything tonight, this is a prayer of an anguished man who is confessing he is repenting with the nation because of great national sin. Third, it's a theological prayer. This is a theological prayer. This prayer is centered on God. It's centered on the word of God and many, many, many scriptures that Daniel alludes to in the prayer. And it's centered on the truth of the character of God. It's also forth a historical prayer. Daniel is is even going to bring up Egypt in verse 15. He's going to say, God, remember when you brought your people out of Egypt. God, I know that you can do this. God, I know that you're faithful. He brings in historical occasions as well. Number five, this is an urgent prayer. This is an urgent prayer. This is a man with an intolerable burden. This is a man who doesn't just want to pray a few prayers. He says, I must be heard and God, I beg for you to answer. An urgent prayer. We need you to ask. Well, this is a wonderful chapter, so much here, but I want to give you some very pastoral and I want to give you some very practical lessons on this great chapter so that we will pray to our covenant-keeping God in distressing times. So here are the three headings. They're very simple, and I've intentionally worded them this way just to make it simple and practical. Number one, study the scriptures. Number two, respond in prayer. Number three, anticipate God's answer. Let's walk through these. Number one will be brief. Number two will be very long. And number three, I'll barely even mention it and then we'll close. But, but uh, I want to I focus really on point number two on prayer tonight in the chapter. But let's begin with number one, study the scriptures. Study the scriptures, because in verses 1 through 3, we really get the context of what's going on. Why is Daniel praying? Why is Daniel doing what he's doing? What is the context? Well, in verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, that is the Hebrew scrolls, And I was reading the prophet Jeremiah and he was understanding the number of the years that the word of the Lord revealed to Jeremiah for the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Well, that's helpful because according to these verses, we can date exactly when he was reading. And that was in the year 539 bc in 539 bc get this daniel has been in exile for 66 years you say so what what does that matter that that is a huge thing because in verse 2 he's reading the prophet jeremiah and jeremiah said that they would be in exile for 70 years he's been there 66 it's almost over god Your time is is almost here where you're going to restore your people back to the land. This is huge. The king of Babylon has just died. He's Belshazzar. Remember the handwriting on the wall in Daniel chapter 5? And he died. And then this man, Darius, became the king. It was a momentous event because the rise of the Medes and the Persians, it prepared the way... For the Jewish people to come back to the land of Israel. Daniel knew this. Jeremiah prophesied about this. And Daniel believed it. He believed that what God said was true. And what I, what I think is so neat is that Daniel was a student of prophecy. He was a student of prophecy and maybe there's a lot of lessons that we could learn from this, a lot of practical applications, but he studied what God had revealed about the future from the prophet Jeremiah and Daniel not only read what Jeremiah said, but he believed it and even he took the numbers literally good lessons for many today who hold to end times perspectives to hold to literal numbers regarding the future. And we know from verse 2 exactly what Daniel was reading in Jeremiah. We know exactly the chapters that he's reading. He's reading Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. These are two places, and the only two places in the prophet Jeremiah, where God tells Jeremiah that the people of Israel will be in Babylon for 70 years, and then I will bring them back to the land of Israel. Daniel says, the time's almost up. God, I know that you're going to act. God, I know that you're going to do something. God, I expect that you're going to work in a great way. Studying the word made Daniel into a man of prayer. Studying the word of God makes a man into a warrior of prayer. They go together. Daniel studied Jeremiah and that propelled him into A heart attitude and a life of prayer. He's studying the word. He's interested in prophecy. He wants to know what God is doing and what God will do. He reads it in the word. He believes it in the word. He takes it literally. He's studying the scripture. And now number two, he'll respond in prayer. Look in your outline. Number two, he responds in prayer. Now, verse 3 is kind of the introduction. Look at verse 3. So I gave my attention to the Lord God. Notice how he describes his prayer. I seek God. I love that. We don't often talk about seeking God. I'm going to go seek God right now in prayer. Daniel is seeking God by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That tells us this is a prayer of mourning. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer, verse 3, with fasting. Verse 4, I prayed to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. If Al Baker, our Beloved brother were here in the pulpit, he would say, This is a prayer of a man who has an intolerable burden. You ever been there? Oh my God! How sin abounds all around us! How evil we are! How we have turned away from you, oh God! I was there yesterday. Standing in front of Hope Clinic. Thinking about such prayers. We've refused to repent, oh God. We've not returned to you, O oh Lord. Lord, my, my heart is breaking over the evil all around. I'm, I'm heavy hearted. I'm, I'm ashamed. I'm humbled. I, I'm blushing at what is going on. I, I can't even speak of what is going on. God, you're righteous. We are sinful. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in such an anguished moment where you call out to God really almost at a loss for words at times? Well, how does Daniel pray? How does he pray? In your outline, this is kind of the main bulk of what I want to convey tonight. How does Daniel pray? He studies the word, and then when he studies the word, he will respond in prayer. How does he pray? Number one, he begins by recalling the character of God. The character of God. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed, and I said, alas! In English, it's like saying, Oh, just this heavy hearted sigh. Lord, the great and the awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. What a great way to pray! God, you're great. And you are awesome. The Hebrew word could be translated, you are worthy of fear. But our English has, you're awesome. But you are worthy of fear. You you are the covenant-keeping God. You, Jehovah, have made a covenant with your people, Israel. And you're faithful. It might appear like things are out of control right now, but God, you're faithful. And he even says in verse 4 that he is one who keeps his covenant and he keeps his steadfast covenant-keeping love with those who love him. Let your eyes skip down to verse 9. Look at who else he describes God to be. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness. What a God. Daniel begins his prayer by recalling the character of God. Now, don't miss this. God is mad at sin. But God is also merciful towards sinners. And Daniel is going to begin this prayer of confession, this prayer of repentance, by recalling the character of God. May it be that in your prayer time and in my prayer time, we would begin, before we rush to supplications and all the things that we want, that we recognize, that we affirm, that we recall who God is. God, you're great. God, you're awesome. God, you're glorious. God, you are worthy of fear. You are the covenant-keeping God. He recalls the character of God, but then he quickly, in verse 5 and following, he then moves to repentance now there's a lot here there is so much here i have five in verses five and six it's really the whole prayer but i i tried to condense it for the purpose of an outline of all the bible characters what's so amazing to me is it's hard to find a man of purer character than daniel nothing negative is said about the man we know that he was a sinner like us we know he was not perfect we get it but there's nothing negative about him in the book He is a man of holiness. And yet, in this prayer, he is going to identify with his people. Now, I just want to bring out the verbs for a minute. The verbs. Look at verse 5 and and track with me here. Verse 5. We have sinned. Verse 5. We have committed iniquity. Verse 5. We have acted wickedly. Verse 5 again, we have rebelled. Verse 5, we have turned aside from your commandments. Verse 6, we have not listened. Look at the end of verse 8, we have sinned against you. Look at the end of verse 9, we have rebelled against God. Look at verse 10, we have not obeyed. Look at verse 11, we, all Israel has transgressed your law. Look at the end of verse 11, we have sinned against you. At the end of verse 14, we have not obeyed your voice. In verse 15, at the end, we have sinned, we have been wicked. Okay, you get the point. Daniel calls sin what it is. There's no slighting. There's no blame shifting. There's no renaming sin. He's not excusing sin. He calls it what it is. Our culture has gotten really good at renaming sin. It's not adultery. It's an affair. Right? Right? It's not drunkenness, it's whatever other term might be thrown around in our day. Daniel says, we've sinned, we have turned aside, we have not obeyed, we have been wicked, we have transgressed. He calls it what it is. That's the beginning of repentance. Acknowledging to God, not just renaming a sin and making it appear better, but saying, God, we have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Daniel, the righteous man, is confessing his own sin, identifying himself with the people. We have sinned and done this. You know what I think is such a great point of application here? Church family, there is another one who also came to identify with his people. Daniel identifies with his people and their sin. But there's another one who came to identify with his people. Not merely in prayer, but to take the sin of his people. To identify with the shame by taking the curse of God for his people. That's our Messiah. That is our Savior. That is our Redeemer. He came as one of us to redeem us and save us from divine wrath. Well, notice how Daniel continues in verse 7. He's going to reflect on the current state of what's going on. What are the circumstances that are leading him to this anguished prayer? Look at the language of verse 7. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord. God, you're righteous. God, you're holy. God, you're good. But to us. Open shame. L- literally in the Hebrew, the word open means before the face of God. <sighs> It's not just open shame, it's shame in the face of God. That's what the Hebrew says, that's what Daniel prays, and he prays it again in verse 8. Open shame belongs to us, and indeed to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Open shame I don't know about you, but church family, can't we say that in our own day as well? God, you're righteous. God, you're holy, God, you're true. But but in our day, in our land, there is open shame here. Shame and sin before the face of God. Notice how he continues in verse 10. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Did you know there's something worse than God's judgment coming? That's bad. God's judgment is bad, but there's something worse. And that which is worse is that the people of God in exile have still refused to repent and confess their sin. Even after they've been taken captive. They still have not returned to God. You know, interesting. I think there's a great application here for us. How do you respond when God brings Conviction. You know, sometimes maybe if you read the scripture, or you hear a Bible study or you hear a sermon or, or you come across something and, and you're convicted. You're convicted. And sometimes people say, man, you're, you're being so harsh. I feel judged. I feel condemned by you. Wait a minute. Is it that you feel condemned or is it the loving Holy Spirit Who's using his word to graciously and mercifully expose sin in your life. Not because he's angry and hates you. But because he wants to purify you. And he wants to grow you. But sometimes we live in this culture of such feel good. I just want to feel good about myself. That when I am convicted. I kind of translate that as you're condemning me. Daniel. Daniel. Daniel understood this conviction. He understood what God was doing, and he responded rightly, but the people around him were not responding rightly. They were not returning to the Lord. Daniel didn't chafe at the conviction of God. He welcomed the conviction of God. God, do what you need to do to convict me, to grow me, to conform me more into the image of your great name. What is the current state, Daniel? Humiliation, shame, embarrassment, brokenness. Can't you and I pray in a similar way? We're not in exile today. God... We have murdered millions of children in our nation. This is open shame for the face of God. God, we, we, have, we have propagated fornication, immorality beyond measure in nearly every possible platform. Not only in our own nation, but around the world. Open shame belongs to us. God, we have enjoyed and found... Laughter and entertainment and violence from music and movies and TV shows to video games to killing and anger and we laugh at it in our day god we we have not turned to you, but but so often we turn to anything or everything else or someone else other than you, oh God, this is where we are. Daniel has an intolerable burden in his heart God here 's where we are. He d- does describe repentance in verse thirteen. As those who turn from iniquity and they give attention to God's truth, there's a twofold turning. You're turning away from iniquity and you are giving attention to God's truth. Both must be present for biblical repentance to take place. Daniel says, That's what we need, but the people in exile are not doing that. And then in his prayer, look at verse 15. He says, and now, O Lord, our God, you have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and you've made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. God, I remember when you delivered us out of Egypt. God, I know you can do this. God, I know that you're mighty. God, I know that you're powerful. He remembers what God has done in the past. You and I can do that. God, I remember what you've done in the Scriptures. You brought revival to Babylon, to Nineveh. You brought revival to our own nation. in a few centuries ago with Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the Wesleys who preached the word. You brought thousands of people to salvation in the, on the day of Pentecost. God, you can do this. And then Daniel prays. Look at verse 16. Here's his request. What, what does he want? He's confessing. He's confessing. Now what does he want? Verse 16. Oh Lord, in accordance with all of your righteous acts, let me now, let, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. God, may your wrath turn away. Verse 17 continues. Now our God Now, notice the staccato, the rapid fire, the one after another, the quick plea. Look at all the commands. Verse 17. Now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Look at verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear; open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen. O Lord, take action for your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. You know, his prayer is for God to be glorified. God, for your name's sake, restore your people. God, for your own reputation, Bring us back to the land. I've read in Jeremiah, it's coming close to the time. God, fulfill your word. Forgive us and restore us. You know what is really neat is Daniel built his strong prayer life on the sufficient word of God. It's good for me and you to do as well. How do you pray like this? How how do we grow in our prayer life? You grow in your prayer life as you grow in your Bible reading life. As you study the scripture, you hear from God through the word. You respond in prayer, talking to God. That's communication, a two-way conversation. God speaks through his written word. We respond in prayer. Daniel built his prayer life on the word. And we might even take this application. Biblical prophecy should bring us to our knees. Daniel was studying prophecy and it drove him to his knees. He was a holy man, a humbled man, an honest man, A heavy hearted man. Well, he studied the word. He responded in prayer. Now, third in your outline, and I just want to mention this briefly in passing. Number three, anticipate God's answer. Why? Why do I say that? Because in verse 20, look at what Daniel writes. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and I was presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, verse 21, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, that's the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness by the time of the evening offering. That's 3 p.m. We don't know how long he prayed, but he evidently was weary in his praying. It probably wasn't a five-minute prayer. Calling upon God, weary in his prayer life, three o'clock in the afternoon. And God answered his prayer even before Daniel was finished praying. He prayed, God answered. Daniel stormed heaven and heaven came down. God Answers, And what's so amazing is God gave him more than just an answer to a prayer. God gave him a prophecy of the rest of human history. This is why many commentators have said Daniel 9 is one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. Because Daniel 9 verses 20 to 23 is Gabriel the messenger from God comes to Daniel. And then verses 24 to 27, we have the 70-week prophecy. Oh, I'd love to get lost in all of the details here, but I can't. But interestingly enough, we just taught on this a couple of months ago, and that is online for you, working through this phrase by phrase. If you do not understand this prophecy accurately, you will not understand any prophecy of the New Testament regarding the future Plan of God accurately. This is the foundation for the New Testament end times prophecy. This is amazing. Daniel is praying, and God responds. In times of anguish, he calls upon God. Let me see if I can quickly give a couple of applications. So we're not Israel, we're not an exile. We're not reading the scripture saying three years and we're going to go back to the land. That's not us today. But what, what about times of anguish in your life when the gospel goes forth, but there's a lot of opposition? Like in First Thessalonians chapter 2. May you go to the word of God and may that drive you to prayer. Maybe there are times when you share the gospel with people that profess to be religious, but they actually hinder you from speaking the gospel to other people so that they might be saved. Like in First Thessalonians 2. May that drive you to your word, to the word of God, and drive you to humble prayer. What if you want to go to a place for gospel work, but yet Satan continues to hinder you repeatedly? You just can't get to that place and do gospel work like in 1 Thessalonians 2. May that drive us to the word and may that drive us to humble prayer. Like we read in Romans chapter 1, God and his wrath is revealed from heaven Against ungodliness and God gives the people over to sexual immorality, to homosexuality, and then to a depraved mind. And you say, yeah, that's where we are. God in wrath, would you remember mercy? May that drive us to the word and may that drive us to humble prayer. But when we read in Romans 1 at the end of the chapter how people are filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and deceit and greed and envy and murder and slanders. And they are inventors of evil and they're giving hearty approval to those who are doing such things. May that anguish in our heart drive us to the word and drive us to humble prayer. Be like Daniel and pray with an open Bible. Open scroll in his case, but an open Bible for us. May we pray with specific entreaties with the contrite spirit. Begin your quiet time by praying and then reading the word and and then respond to the word in prayer. Consider journaling a prayer in response to what you have read from God's word. You know what is so remarkable about this? Daniel was undergoing the judgment of God with the nation because they were in exile. But in a much, much, much greater way, there is a judgment of God still to come. There is a judgment of God still to come. And the anguish in our heart, because we know that, and we know that it's soon to come, it leads us to prayer. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. Have mercy upon our land. Have mercy upon our children. Have mercy upon our grandchildren. Have mercy upon our leaders. God, have mercy upon our churches. God, have mercy. But but may it also lead us to give thanks to God. That God has delivered us from the coming wrath. He has delivered us from that coming wrath. We can now... Approach the throne of grace with confidence and with boldness, knowing that our God will hear us. We don't come to God with any merits of our own. We can take that from Daniel and say, Lord, I don't come on my own righteousness. Lord, I come to you based upon the merit of Christ. He is my advocate. He is the one who gives me an introduction into your great presence. God I come to you in the name of Christ. How do you pray in times of anguish? Go to the word. Go to prayer. And let the Lord meet with you as you pour out your heart to him in fervent cries. Our Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the lessons that we glean from him, from this very important and yet very practical practical way that we can survey this chapter you are great you are awesome you are the one who keeps your covenant and your loving kindness with your people thank you that you have loved us and saved us that we do not come to you in our own merits but in the merits of christ we pray O god that you would meet with us even tonight as we pray to you And call upon your name. In Jesus name. Amen.